one of the other things though for, for collars is that we, it's not only this short-term reactionary um, service that we're providing and we try and say we're one hour out. Yeah. One hour out, of when you get into conflict as a farmer, That's we'll be there on the ground. But it's also identifying corridors. What are the important places? So we've talked about security elephants, we've talked about conflict elephants, but we're also talking about significant elephant herds that are doing interesting movement. Despite being the largest land-based mammal on the planet, Africa's elephants are in crisis. On a daily basis, poaching and habitat loss bring these creatures into conflict with communities, and sadly, the Maasai Mara is no exception. Fortunately, the Mara Elephant Project is on a mission to protect this species, relying heavily on the wonders of modern technology to create harmony between wildlife, the Mara landscape, and those that live alongside it. In this second episode of our series, Chai with Angama, Steve Mitchell, co-founder of Angama, chats to Mark Goss, CEO of the Mara Elephant Project, to find out how technology in all its forms, from the most simple to the highly complex, has a huge role to play in conservation. Hello and welcome to Chai with Angama. I'm Steve Mitchell and today I have the privilege of chatting to Mark Goss, who is the Chief Executive of the Mara Elephant Project. We're going to talk a little bit about um, technology in, in conservation. Uh, Mark is um, and Mara Elephant Project are, are one of the partners of the Angama Foundation. But first, Mark, I wonder if you could just give us a little bit of background um, about MEP and, and your work and, and particular the boots on the ground which you have here in the Mara ecosystem. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you, Steve. And it's great to be here. And we really appreciate the partnership with Angama. That keeps our rangers in the field and our ability to track the elephants. So Mara Elephant Project started in 2011. And we really started when the poaching was getting out of hand. So we put together a first rapid reaction team to start tackling the, the and breaking into these poaching gangs. And that led us to developing an intel team and once we've done that and we started collaring and we started collaring our big bulls to protect them. So since then, we've really developed from one land cruiser and eight rangers to over 50 rangers, four land cruisers and the only helicopter for conservation in the Masai Mara. We now operate over about 5,000 square kilometers and we're spread out all the way from the Mao forest to the Loita forest and now in the Transmara, which is just behind us here. And you do a lot of your work on the sort of periphery of the protected areas, is that right? Correct. We see the safe areas as the National Reserve, uh, the community conservancies, and then there's a huge dispersal area where there isn't any either informal or formal conservation work going on. So that's where we do the majority of our work, which is moved from poaching to conflict mitigation and habitat protection. Now, these are the biggest land mammals on the planet it must take some convincing to get them to, to behave as you, as you wish. Correct. Elephants go where they want. And sometimes there's fences in the way, but to get nutrients, uh, often elephants go into people's farms and they can ruin a farmer's livelihood in, in one night. A big herd can go all through all of his crops that he's worked hard to, to, to yeah. plant, to look after. So the... There must be some animosity sometimes, I guess, between the communities and the elephants and then how you protect the crops. That's an important part of, of your work. Correct. Um, really what, what happens is that when these elephants go into farms, farmers protect their crops by shooting arrows at them, sometimes spearing them, which is uh, lethal to elephants. Um, so what we've developed is a toolkit and 
Some of it is advanced technology in the toolkit. Some of it is quite simple technology, but it's a sort of all the good practice that we've developed over the years to keep elephants out of the farms. And um, yeah, I'd like to talk about some of those different activities and different tools that we use. Yeah, please. Um, so one of the one of the tools, and I should have brought one today, is a, is a, a advanced infantry sling, which is uh, is it like a catapult? It's like a catapult, and it allows rangers to throw these chili balls. Um, it's a, a charcoal ball, uh, which is infused with chili powder, uh, which then explodes on the elephant and uh, is a cloud of, of chili powder or on the ground in front of them. So that's one. And, and then, we, then they sneeze, or they don't like it. Yeah, or? they don't like they don't like chili powder. And because their noses are very, very sensitive on okay. their trunks. And so that, that's one of the more simple technologies. Then we use torches, flashlights, strong flashlights. We use our vehicles. We use motorbikes to chase the elephants out. We use firecrackers, Roman candles. And all of these are relatively, well, I should say, very safe to elephants, but are effective on, on pushing them out of the farm. Got you. Once we've moved from uh, catapults and the more simple technology of firecrackers, we've now moved into using drones. So in 2012, I bought a, a very cheap, very not very effective drone and I wanted to get some aerial footage. So I put it up to film some elephants and they ran for their lives. Really? <laughs> so we've now uh, tested and characterized the usage of drones to mitigate conflict and it's been an amazing tool not only to herd them or shivvy them in a direction, but also to, to be able to see them from above and be able to coordinate with ground teams moving the elephants in a certain direction. At a lower cost than flying the heli, I guess. Exactly. So the helicopter is, of course, very effective, sure, but it costs a lot of money to run. Also, getting a license is very expensive, whereas with the drones, we're, we're looking at a training program to train up our rangers so that they can safely... Uh, mitigate and fly drones. And the elephants aren't habituated to the drones and, and sort of now it's a fly, but I'm fine with it? Well, we haven't seen it yet, but uh, there is no silver bullet. One of the trainings we were on, we were talking to some scientists about that when they were helping us characterize that. And I brought the drone quite low and everyone, you know, there's whirling propellers and it makes a, a high-pitched noise. Yeah. You always move away from it. Naturally. And naturally move away from it. So <laughs> it's sort of the same, but theory with with the elephants but we also think because of the frequency and the noise that it might be simulating bees so we're not quite sure why elephants really hate drones but so far it's really held up that it, they've been effective to to safely mitigate these conflicts they also don't like bees is that is that right so they don't like bees so one of the yeah again simple technologies has been bee fences they've done a lot more research in Savo yeah. around bees but what we've also found is that elephants, and this is something we've been experimenting with on an ad hoc basis, but is using drones at night. And of course, you can't fly helicopters at night. It's not approved by um, civil aviation. And, and during the time, and we're still waiting for the approvals to fly at night with the drones, but you okay. can safely fly a drone at night, uh, which is when the majority of the conflict is happening. And then you use sort of infrared uh, imag or inf Correct. imaging. Correct. Yeah. Uh, the uh, FLIR make a, a very compact camera that can be carried by the Matrice, which is a slightly bigger uh, DJI drone. And it, it can take a payload of about five kilos. And not only for chasing elephants out or seeing elephants at night and seeing what you're doing, but we've also been experimenting on the border with the Mara Conservancy is seeing if we can spot poachers at night. Um, and then walk on a ground team to the poachers. So what we're really seeing with the drone technology is it's developing so quickly 
that it's actually becoming tactically relevant to being able to be a tool for conservation. One of the other uh, tools I'll just mention, um, or one of the other uses we've had for drones yeah. has been a crop sprayer that yeah. we then use a chili uh, powder with water mix to spray boundaries of farms so that elephants again don't go in. And, and this is a once farm... It's like an anti-elephant fertilizer right. of sorts. And in India, they use um, capsicum mixed with turmeric as an organic pesticide. So you could really kill two birds with one stone and uh, be able to prevent... The elephants, right? Well, but, they're but a pest, pest, right? So yeah, you've yeah. got just, just not tiny the pest, pest. you used to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that's uh, that's very interesting. Do you see a do you see a time, or, or do you have an ambition to have sort of the sky mapped with drones and, and to sort of have twenty four hour surveillance? Is that likely? Do you think, or is the battery life just too long, or is that unsustainable, or the distance just too big? Well, there's one interesting, another, I mean, there's so, we're finding so many different avenues. We have our head of, head of research, Dr. Jake Wall, has been super interested in using drones to count livestock because one of the big things we have in our ecosystem here is we share it with Absolutely. tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of, of, of cattle and sheep. And those livestock loads have a huge impact on nutrient loads and uh, availability of resources for wildlife. So where are cattle, where are wildlife, and how are they interacting? And you can use the drone to count, if you had a thermal camera on it, or infrared camera, to count livestock in real time using uh, artificial intelligence in their bomas. Because in Africa, not uh, unlike Australia or the United States, they don't just leave livestock out yeah. at night because yeah. of the predators. They like. put them in bomas or corrals. So then you can count, go over, t take a film or a picture, and you go and you do a whole settlement area, and yeah. then you would get a very accurate, real-time livestock load uh, in a certain area. That is one, uh, another one. Sorry, and before you, that sort of then helps with understanding how, how, how many heads of cattle that land can sustain, or how many it is sustaining, and then based on the, I guess, the impression of the land, one can get an assessment of if it's sort of correct balance or too much or too little? Correct. And with the collars that we have on elephants, on wildebeest, on lions, um, all of that, um, and then the census data from wildlife counts, how do wildlife um, react to the covariate of livestock? So how are those two linked? Do wildlife, because after the livestock get corralled, do wildlife come into that area at night yeah, because yeah. the grass is more nutrient-rich? Yeah. Do they not? Do they move away from it? You know, so those are some of the questions that drones will help us answer, um, especially with the, the livestock counts. Now, let's talk a little bit about um, the elephants. To to collar one of these male bulls, that obviously takes some some doing, and I would imagine the, the drugs that you use are pretty significant, which you don't want to touch even on your fingertip. No, uh, they, they use a drug called M99. It's a very powerful tranquilizer. And I think, it, I mean, when they mix it, the vet mixes it, it's literally three milliliters that knocks down an, an elephant of seven tons. So the vet has several times said to me, you know, if I prick myself by mistake, you have to give me this atrophine in my neck as quickly as you can. So, I mean, it is, it is a serious... You haven't, serious... you haven't been asked to do that. No, <laughs> <laughs> I haven't been asked to do that yet, no. But... I mean, that's one part of it. The other part is finding a suitable candidate. Sure. Finding them in an area that you want to get information from. So is it a, a big bull that you want to protect from poaching and you're looking at geofences and you're looking at when they're in areas that aren't safe that you need to push them out or they, an immobility alert that when they've gone down 
or is it a crop breeding elephant? The same thing, is it a geofence that they're going through and breaking that then you need to send the, you get an alert on your phone that you send the rangers in. So the callers are actually integrated in our um, system called Earth Ranger. And Earth Ranger pulls in data from all the different tracking sources, rangers, collars, wildebeest, lion, and, and then gives us an ability not just to visualize it, but alerting systems. So if an elephant goes in an unsafe area, we get a geofence alert. If it stops moving, we get an immobility alert. But So you can set the rules basically per elephant or, or sort of per area. So, you know, let's say we should set up a geofence around Angama, and if an elephant mm -hmm. got within two meters of a guest tent, there would be an alarm ring. Exactly. You could do something like that. So you sort of set those up around the areas, and then you do it for the elephants, or...? Yeah, so what, what we do is we, um, some of it is done manually, some of it is done on satellite imagery, so where farms are, where um, borderline areas are, so it might be across the Maya River. So once they've crossed the Maya River, in certain areas we know they're going into conflict. Yeah. If, they, if it might be around a whole forested area, so like the Nyakwari Forest or the Loita Forest, once they've gone out of that, we know they're now in settlements. One of the other things, though, for, for collars is that we, it's not only this short-term uh, reactionary um, service that we're providing, and we try and say we're one hour out. Well, yeah. One hour out, of, when you get into conflict as a farmer, That's... we'll be there on the ground. But it's also identifying corridors. What are the important places? So we've talked about security elephants, we've talked about conflict elephants, but we're also talking about significant elephant herds that are doing interesting movement. We call it an elephant in Nairobi, and he moved all the way from Thogoto Forest outside Nairobi across the standard gauge railway back into the Rift Valley, something that's never been seen before. Likewise, in the Mara, we have these corridors that lead out of the Mara, and the main one is really the Loita, the Loita Sand River National Reserve cor Corridor. So yeah. that links the National Reserve to the Loita Forest. So when the National Reserve, uh, the resources start to dwindle, then wildlife are moving and the loiter wildebeest migration, but yeah. also elephants up to the, the loiter forest, which is still lush. Mark, let's talk about uh, Earth Ranger a little bit. So that's the tracking software that you use. Is that something that you guys developed yourself or how does it, how does it work? Well, initially, uh, Earth Ranger was developed by Save the Elephants, and Save the Elephants had a, an extremely smart scientist uh, working for them called Dr. Jake Wall. And now Jake has moved over to the Maya Elephant Project and uh, Earth Ranger, which was then called the Domain Awareness System, has been uh, adopted by Vulcan. So Vulcan was part of the development team, but Jake really, with Save the Elephants and Ian Douglas Hamilton, developed it to be the state-of-the-art software to be able to visualize, um, store, and then pull data out for analysis. Um, so... Just for example, Earth Ranger has been adopted by Lewa, by African Parks Network, by a number of protected areas all across Africa, and now has been adopted by the United Nations for the locust monitoring. So across Africa, Djibouti as well, and, and, in Saudi, sorry, and Saudi Arabia have started adopting Earth Ranger, which was developed for conservation, and it relatively is still conservation, but tracking and entering locust movements across the globe. And so what we're seeing now is, and more and more with Earth Ranger, is that we're able to take large data sets, we're able to bring in satellite data imagery, we're able to bring in all the tracking data, we're able to bring in Ranger reports, uh, give out patrol targets, and visualize data on our mobile devices all in the same place. Whereas 10 years ago, or even five years ago, data was being entered manually. It was yeah. being put in fusion yeah. tables, it was 
And for example, Jake has made this um, annual yearbook of all of our elephants, and it goes into time spent, wet, dry season yeah. comparison, speed who's, who's, comparison. Who's the marathon runner? Who's... You, you know, all of these uh, analytics that for each elephant would be thousands of hours yeah. of man human time yeah where now you he writes an algorithm spits it into earth ranger and then out comes all these fantastic analytics of 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 movement data so we're going to be doing that now with wildebeest data and lion data and of course our effort so a big thing for for us is how do we measure the effort and effectiveness of our rangers sure so every day every photo every patrol every form that's filled out it all sits on earth ranger where do you see some of this technology going? It's my last question for you, I guess. Um, where do you see some of this technology going? Or, or are there any other, other than resources and just more work and mitigating the conflict, what are, the, are there any other sort of challenges that, you, that you're looking to solve that, that, that someone smart and clever somewhere hasn't, hasn't, hasn't sort of finalized just yet? Well, I think one of the things we're even finding with Jake is that the demand is so large on his time. So we need to develop uh, apps, so we need developer time, and to hire a good developer is quite expensive, but sure. we need to continue to develop these um, apps. We need to continue to develop algorithms that will, will help us with the analytics of data. We need cloud storage space to be able to run. I mean, I think he has a, a multi-species um, analysis that he's doing right now on covariates and how wildlife and all the collared animals, all of the collared animals in this ecosystem react. And it's several million data points wow. and it's being run on the Google Earth engine. And I think he told me it's going to run for two months, you know, and, and this isn't your home computer that sure. it's running on, sure. it's running on servers in Germany. So developer time is a, is a, is a really big um, resource that, that we need to tap into. And, it, and it's everything um, from uh, road mapping software to animal ID software to whale shark identity, although we don't get it, we're not in the marine environment now, but is to, to, to be able to develop some of this, have developer time. So, we, I mean, we've always been quite impressed with um, the Bar Elephant Project's boots on the ground approach and having the rangers and the informers and being at the front line. But it sounds like actually it's, it's becoming quite an IT company as well yeah. in many respects. And, and you probably it's that it's, you can't be one without the other these, these days. You're absolutely right. And the, the two complement and as we move forward with technology more and more. And, and it's, it's not as much as we're checking where the rangers are going, but it's also them showing that they are doing what they said they're doing. And they feel proud that when we're doing performance evaluation, et cetera, et cetera, is look how far, look how much we did this year. Look, so before when you'd get on an analog radio, I patrolled this area and I patrolled, there's no way to verify both ways sure. for them. Sure. And it builds trust both ways then. Exactly. Mark, it's been lovely chatting to you. Thank you very much for sharing your stories and to everyone who's been watching or listening to, I hope you've learned a few things about uh, the Mario Elephant Project and conservation and technology in conservation. So thank you very much. Thank you very much, Steve. Thank you. For those who would like to learn more about the Mara Elephant Project, you can visit their website, which we have linked to in this episode's notes. In our next episode of Chai with Angama, we'll be speaking to Kenya's king of canvas, Jan Allen of Canvas by Design, who has had a fascinating career creating tented camps across the country. From how the mobile tent aesthetic has changed over the years to some of the challenges involved in creating a sense of luxury in the middle of nowhere, we'll be discussing how some of his most ambitious projects have come to life, including the new Angama Safari Camp. 
This podcast was brought to you by Angama. You can listen to Chai with Angama on Apple Podcast, Spotify and SoundCloud. To see the video version of this and other interviews, please subscribe to Angama's YouTube channel.